You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner, and I'm so glad you're joining me today. This episode is amazing, and we talk with an OG multi-hyphenate, and his career is... it's amazing. But before we get into the episode, I just wanted to thank Broadway Podcast Network for having me. It's always a joy. And, uh, and also follow on Instagram and social media, like TikTok, I sound like a... Sound like an old fogey being like, yeah, social media, follow me there. Um, no, I'm at the Michael Kushner on Instagram and TikTok. And I've been posting a lot lately. I've been posting a lot of reels because I think I've, you know, I have a listener sort of fan base that is really interested in the day to day activity. I got a lot of questions about really specific things. So I try to answer them and make them really entertaining so I do a lot of reels now and I do I'm trying to really get on TikTok and 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 form a a close base you know over there so just follow me at the Michael Kushner and also uh, on Instagram I have a podcast Instagram which is at dear multi hyphenate uh but also <laughs> uh if you want to be on the podcast Go to DearMultiHyphenate.com, that's DearMultiHyphenate.com, and submit a form there. I read all of them. And, um, you know, uh, I have guests on based on what the environment is like and what's, uh, you know, what sort of has a unique perspective and point of view. So, you know, when you're submitting, make it interesting, make it exciting, make it you know, uniquely you. So, um, you know, I, I can't wait to have you on. Can't wait to read your submissions. Also, please rate, comment, subscribe, do all that stuff on Apple Podcasts, reviews and comments. All of that stuff really helps. So please do that. Okay. Um, as we move into the episode, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, my fiance was in America's Sexiest Couple. Um, at Cape May stage for the past, you know, almost two months. And it was such a wonderful production. Please, please see local regional theater because you might have a Tony winner in the cast like Karen Ziemba. Um, it was, it was a wonderful show and I'm so glad I got to bring the puppy and go spend some time with Remy and see the show and spend time in Cape May was wonderful. So, you know, wherever you are, see what's performing. You never know who you're going to see. So shout out to Cape May stage over there. Um, Okay, let's move into the episode. Remember, be kind, be careful, be yourself. Lead with kindness always. Charles Bush has forged a unique place in the world of entertainment as a playwright, actor, director, novelist, cabaret performer, and drag icon. He is the author and star of over 25 plays, including The Divine Sister, The Lady in Question, Red Scare on Sunset, The Tribute Artist, The Confession of Lily Dare, and Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, one of the longest-running plays in the history of Off-Broadway. 
His play, The Tale of the Allergist's Wife, ran for 777 performances on Broadway, won the Outer Circle Critics' John L. Gassner Award for Playwriting, received a Tony nomination for Best Play, and is the longest-running Broadway comedy of the past 25 years. He wrote and starred in film versions of his plays Psycho Beach Party and Die Mommy Die, the latter of which won him Best Performance Award at the Sundance Film Festival. For two seasons, he appeared as Nat Ginsburg on the HBO series Oz and is the author of the autobiographical novel Horrors of Lost Atlantis. He's a director. He's won awards. He's, he has CDs out. I mean, he's incredible. So check him out, learn more about Charles Bush, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Charles Bush. Hello. Hello. Lovely to to be with you. Multi-hyphenate to multi-hyphenate. Well, look, let's talk, okay? Because you are one of the, you know, OG multi-hyphenates. I mean, you have been leading with that example. You based, that's basically what you based your whole career off of. I mean, how, what, what proficiencies, how would you identify as a multi-hyphenate? Uh, well, uh, I guess playwright actor is, I would say, the, the two things that I do that I'm the most uh, confident with, or, or I've done the most, let's put it that way. But I'm also, uh, gosh, I've tr- tried my hand at everything. I, I've directed a couple of films and um, what else? I, I've, I've been a quick sketch portrait artist, uh, ice cream scooper. Uh, <laughs> Chief cook and bottle washer. <laughs> Model. <laughs> Therapist, best friend. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, you know, covered the waterfront. Yeah. I love, you know, I love that so much. I mean, you know, I'm such a fan of your work. You're, 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 you're such an inspiration in so many different ways. And, um, you know, uh, you have literally created a whole career um that is based on self-production and self-advocacy and sort of not letting the audience uh, the audience letting the industry dictate where we haven't we speaking of audience we have sandwich um uh, and the industry dictate who you are and the types of stories you tell i mean the your body of work is so you I don't like saying the word unique, but it is so um, specifically you. And we have we have these stories because you said fuck you to the industry, basically, and said, I'm going to tell well, my own stories. <laughs> screw you, maybe. <laughs> screw you. We're classy. We're classier here. I say, fuck you. Exactly. Well, yes, I suppose. I suppose a bit of a fuck you. Yes. Um, well, thing is, just really, I... Um, I, I've been blessed with a somewhat pragmatic uh, point of view, and and I just always um, I think I was had a good sense of of who I was and what I had to offer, you know. And I, I was always writing. I, I was writing full length plays at the age of eleven, uh, and so uh, I don't know why my teachers at school thought I was such a loser because <laughs> on the sly I was you know, writing three act plays, uh, but. I also I really wanted to be on stage. That that was the the dream, and I figured out very early, um, basically in college, that I would have no career in mainstream show business. That I was just too too gay and too offbeat. It, it was certainly not in 1973 when I was in college. It was you know maybe at a later two decades later, possibly I don't know, but certainly not then. Uh, so I knew I had to um, put the two together. That I had to to write my own roles that showed what what I could do, and maybe other people couldn't. And perhaps what made me seem so unemployable or so uncastable uh, could actually be um, the the key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have such power in our specificity, and it you know when we. I, stories have to come from somewhere they come from our perspective and i think to be brave enough to go i am too gay for the industry at least in this moment in this time this is how i'm gonna get through to the industry and by 
sharing my own perspective. I mean, that's the multi, that's, that's the key to being a multi-hyphenate and the multi-hyphenate now is becoming a lot more mainstream than it was probably in the seventies or in the eighties when vampire lesbians of Sodom was produced off Broadway, because now it's becoming a very like, um, boss babe like I could I am my own boss thing but the multi-hyphenate has always existed you know it's 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 existed it just never had a name and for some reason you I don't know how many times someone said this to you but for younger artists especially with the popularity of the BFA programs the BFA musical theater and acting programs there's a lot of you have to pick one thing and you have to yeah. focus on that one thing and people go when are you going to just like when are you going to stop trying so many things and just focus so right. what what is your experience in that did anyone ever tell you you had to pick one thing or try to dissuade you from writing and directing and producing and starring in your work no no never uh, I was so off the radar that I don't think they cared enough to to <laughs> criticize me, frankly. Uh, no, I went to Northwestern University, which is a very fine school. I went there, unfortunately, during the four years that nothing was happening. It was a very fine school before I got there and became an even better school after I left. But during that period, there was no playwriting program at all and nothing in place to uh, in the theater department to put on a, a, an original play. So, uh, so the, it really was strictly an acting uh, department, you know, acting, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, program, acting program, yeah. program. Yeah, and I just wasn't um, relating. I, I, I just felt in a terrible place of, of really despair of wanting to be on stage, but thinking there's really no place for me here. I, I don't, not only am I not being cast in any parts, but there are no parts I really want to play. Right. But, uh, but I, I was very fortunate though, uh, coming from New York, that's where I was born and really have lived, except for when I went to Northwestern, I've lived here all my life. Um, anyway, when I would, I, I was exposed to a lot of theater and particularly uh, downtown, more um, edgy theater. And that was very inspiring and, and particularly the work of a really extraordinary figure, Charles Ludlam, who mm-hmm. was playwright, actor, director, had his own theater company, the Ridiculous Theatrical Company. And when I saw his work, that really was uh, an eye-opener with the idea that that uh, one could write roles you know, for yourself and um, have your own theater company and uh, whatever your unique frame of reference is, that can be a positive thing. And, and certainly that showed me with the use of drag as the theatrical element, that, uh, which I hadn't seen before, um, because this, what I'd seen up till then were you know, just the various Broadway musicals and dramas that I was uh, taken to as a kid. But, but the other thing, one thing I did want to say though, was just that, uh, later on as as I started working trying to create a, a place for myself in uh, the, the world of, of, of theater and then film I, I found I had kind of an aversion to showbiz and and I, I've been I've worked in showbiz I, there was a period where I I somehow believe it or not sold um, eight TV pilots to the CBS, Showtime, and HBO, and none were ever filmed. It, it ended up always seeming like high-paid high, uh, temp work. But I, I just um, I just didn't really like it. Or when I've worked on um, big, rather mainstream things, like a broad, writing the book to a Broadway musical, I, I just didn't really feel like it was something I wanted to do. And immediately I would go right back to to putting on a show with people that I love uh, and just kind of, you know, on, on ver- various uh, degrees of, of radar. And that, and that's, so, and, yeah, and, and, and even like the, really, even the, the films that I've made have kind of been um, out of the realm of showbiz and, and rather personal um, projects 
that, that were there very, almost no one uh, coming in and saying this you can't do this or you can't do that or you I, I've been very very free of that so that's wow you bring up so many incredible points now you said you you I just want to make sure I got this right. You said you didn't enjoy writing a, mu- a book of a musical. No, no. So what, so that's so that, okay. I want to talk about that because, so are you alluding to, or do you mean taboo? Like your experience with taboo? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you, you triggered me. I'm very sorry. Um, we, we could use a safe word if we need. Um, <laughs> we, we, I'm, all, I'm all about consent. Um, so, but you know, what a risk though. I think that's, I think so many artists panic when they go, oh my God, I've been gearing up my whole life for a moment like this and it's not what I want. So what did you do since right since you are a part of the Broadway community, you are a part of the theater community, and writing is one of your hyphens. How did you handle discovering? I don't want to do this again. This isn't this isn't what I want to do. I want to do. I want to put my energy elsewhere. How did you come to terms with that? How did you handle that? Oh, uh, I was really rather simple in some ways. I just thought I'm really I really hate this. <laughs> <laughs> and I can say no, and uh, and of course it was a huge flop, you know. So it wasn't like people, you know, breaking down my my <laughs> door with with offers to uh, for my services. But but I I have I did receive some actually some um, a, c- a couple of big things that I turned maybe foolishly, uh, but I, I thought it just life's too short, and and I just didn't want to do it. But but then I I don't you know I've had two big Broadway experiences. And one was a great success, uh, this play, The Tale of the Alger's Wife, which uh, was not a musical, it was a straight play. And, and it ran on Broadway for about two years. And, um, uh, you know, it's, um, it's the, I guess it's, what is it? It's the longest running comedy in, the, in Broadway in the past history, 25 the past years. 25 years, so, they, so yeah. they tell me. Yeah, anyway, it was, it was a really big success for me. And, and that, and, and, and actually, no, uh, but even there, you know, it was less showbiz, less corporate than you would have thought. It started off at a smaller nonprofit theater, a Manhattan Theater Club. Uh, there was, a, uh, and in that case, you know, the um, artistic director, Lynn Meadow, was also the director of my play. So, mm. so there was, she was calling all the shots. So there, was, there weren't other people, you know, interfering. And, and they're very, she's a very strong person. And, and, that's a very important nonprofit theater. So there was immediate interest in moving it to Broadway and that no one gave me notes on like changes that I had to do. So it, it was, there was, there was no corporate uh, interference, but then, and, and, and taboo was, you know, taboo really in a way was probably the least show busy musical ever done because it was, it was all, uh, a uh, passion project of Rosie O'Donnell's. Mm-hmm. She wanted to uh, produce this. She saw this play in London where it was kind of a, a, a somewhat fringe production. Uh, and she just flipped over it and she had finished, just finished her the run of her TV series. So she became the, the sole producer and sole investor of this $10 million Broadway Musical, so there. So in a, in a way, it was probably the least showbiz musical there ever could be, because you, mm-hmm. you know most of the time there are forty producers and corporate entities involved mm-hmm. in a Broadway show. But th- this was unique, and you know, and I, I'm really crazy about Rosie. I, I me too. I, yeah, she's she's a great great person, and um, uh, and she took the most of the uh, the the beating from the critics, and it, and it was. Uh, yeah, odd or, or frustrating that that the, the all the critics who ridicule and 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 right gossip columnists, all these people who who write about the theater, you know, uh, they attacked her for her her arrogance of uh, who does she think she is producing this show when they they're the same people who would write think pieces bemoaning the fact that that Broadway shows now are these impersonal 
affairs with you know 40 producers here she was a throwback to Ziegfeld and and or David Merrick or, and and yet I somehow I think because she was a woman because she was a TV personality and a big personality mm-hmm. that uh, she just uh, was so attacked for it. I owe a lot to Rosie. Uh, I, 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 my goal is to get her on this podcast because I, you know, I grew up with her as an actor, but you better believe in kindergarten, first grade, I was running home and watching the Rosie O'Donnell show and dreaming and learning about Broadway. She brought Broadway into my living room in this way. And so many people that I work with are, have the same experiences of I, I'll never forget the sideshow performance and the Titanic performance and right. things like that. She brought Broadway into our living room and educated us. Well, you know, when, when I was a kid, you know, we would see uh, Broadway was much more of a, a national presence because uh, we had variety shows like the Ed Sullivan show mm. where you would have the stars of Camelot or on his show, or, uh, but that all kind of disappeared. And, and the Rosie O'Donnell show really was just about the only venue where um, you, you could see Broadway personalities. Well, I, that's how, you know, my first um, connection was her that was that she would have with her was that she had all the various ladies who played in my show, um, the allergist wife on her show, because she was a big fan of it. Uh, Linda Lavin and Valerie Harper and Michelle Lee. So that that's my, was my first connection. Then she asked me to uh, write a new book for Taboo. So. I mean, I know it was a flop, but it's a loved flop. You know, it's a part of Broadway yes. history. And, you know, it's, uh, I know um, Arthur Bicknell, who wrote Moose Murders. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, he lives in Ithaca and I went to Ithaca for musical theater. And I, you know, was like, so... I was so in awe to be in his presence because it was like, even though it's a flop, even though his show opened and closed in one night on Broadway and is literally one of the biggest Broadway flops yeah. of all time, yeah. it's still freaking cool. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, yes. You it's are. Like, well, it's a flop. Well, that's a flop of, of historic proportions. Oh, so there's, God. There's something kind of fa- fabulous about that. I, I recently um, was performing in a variety evening with this uh, very talented gal, uh, Jenna, De- I don't know how to pronounce her name, Jenna Duvall. Who, Jenna uh, Duvall. Yeah, is it Wall? Do you, don't, don't pronounce the W as a V? No, it's Wall. Yeah, I don't know. Duvall. Anyway, who started in Diana as is the most notorious recent flop. And uh, did I you see her, it? No, but she's very good. We sang, you know, she was singing, we were both singing as part of an evening at Pitchfork Below. <laughs> And you know, and at first I was I I I didn't you know I'm kind of out of it, so uh, I didn't know who she was. And and somebody said, "Oh, that's Jenna Dewall, who was Diana." Oh my God! And there was like, suddenly there was this aura <laughs> around her. So I I said, "You," I said, "Well, you kind of came out smelling like a rose in a way." I said, "Here, you know, you people liked you in it," and, and she was a very sweet girl. So I you know I wish I still had the paycheck. But uh, but she'll she'll survive because she's very talented. Diana was very confusing. I um, saw it the Saturday de- uh, the Saturday the day before closing, the last Saturday night, and I rem- I literally walked out saying I have to see it again. So I went to closing because it was the worst best thing I've ever seen in my life. It was like. And I feel comfortable saying that on my podcast because it's kind of a fact. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like it just, it, it, but it's such, I think that there's going to be a book about it or a documentary about it because it was such a specific, it was, it served a very specific purpose on Broadway. And it was like this really interesting thing of watching the press team flip right. when the Netflix film came out and watching social media treat it like it was the campiest thing in the world and then press lean into it change how they marketed the show yeah um i i know the um the book writer joe de pietro somewhat mm-hmm. and that he was i think he told me that uh that he originally intended to have a camp element to it that it wasn't supposed to be just a you know a, a vita 
right there, there was a camp thing I, I don't know I so think it, what, I think it would have been a much more successful experience if the original intention was carried out I think somewhere along the lines they went from camp to oh this is the next Evita and yeah. it I think it didn't know because there were some really beautiful serious moments that were gorgeous um which absolutely works in a camp experience of course well, that's, what I, that's what i try to do uh, i think in, in all my plays that uh have their roots in um movie genre homage i don't like using the word parody because I, I don't really spoof them uh but yeah i've always always wanted to have moments that that were genuinely uh poignant or genuinely suspenseful so it's not all just on one, one kind of antic tone. That's important. That's what, that's what makes your work so loved, I think. I think it, you know, makes it real, I think makes it relatable, makes it, you know, three-dimensional. Um, and I think that's why you're such a legend because your your work is so wonderful. And um, it's, you know, I, I I just think that you represent this, really cool possibility of what can happen in the theater and the way that you can just make a name for yourself based on self-awareness and going yeah I don't want to like something you were talking about before being like I didn't want to play any of those roles I have the same exact experience that's why I leaned into the multi-hyphenate thing was because I was like there's two roles that as I've gotten older, there are two roles that I, three roles that I desperately want to play. And Roger Debris and the producers. Good part for you. Desperately. I mean, I played the role in high school and I won an award for it, but like, I want to play it in the revival. Like I want to, I want to do it here. Um, Mm -hmm. Another one would be Tenardier in Les Mis because I mean, brilliant. And then the third is Rose in Gypsy. Um, You know, I, What'd you say? That might be a tough one to, to um, get permission for. Yeah, but, but you yeah, haven't. Times are changing. I know, and you haven't seen these hips, so you know I look good <laughs> in a purple dress for Rose's turn. <laughs> um. So you know, but I'm not getting. Ca- I I look I I look when I you know I'm growing up the beard. I put on weight. So I'm, I'm looking a little older now, but when I was really auditioning and going to EPAs and ECCs right. and working with an agent, I was a twinky little thing that I looked, I looked twinky and young, but the stuff that I was doing was beyond my years and the stories that I was telling. And it just wasn't matching. And I, because I was auditioning for things I didn't want to, tell I didn't want to do that eight times a week I didn't want it it's just not who I am and so I took a step back and really focused on other ways to tell stories like my photography business or writing my own one person plays um or producing my own stuff and really finding the same joy if not more joy than performing I mean there are people on this planet that they're like I don't care what it is I just want to be on stage but I'm like I, I'm not that's not me babe that's not me it's got to feel right it's got to feel relatable and specific and when I stand on stage I want to risk something you know yeah 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 it's you just have to weigh against what you know what you feel you should do and what you really need to do i i yeah i mean it, 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 it's it's just odd really uh when people say to me like oh you were so brave to do this this and it's just in, in life I, I i i you're not really aware of doing anything that while you're doing it that's particularly startling it's just you make this is what you know been what ha- what pops up you know I, you know like people have asked, said to me um oh was it very very brave of you to start perform performing in drag i i don't know i just was having a good time i i thought this is you know i i ever since i was a kid i had a 
a gift and an ear for uh, evoking famous actresses of the golden age. I, I, at 18, could do the seven ages of Betty Davis. And I just, I just this is part of me. You know, but then, you know, and my college roommate, uh, Ed, with, with who I would, I would just entertain him for hours in, in the dorm room, the two of us. And he would say, this is what you should be doing on stage. And I thought, how do I, how do, I do that? And then particularly when I, after I saw Charles Ludlam, I thought, oh, that's how you do it. Do you write your own play? Um, but yeah, but it was never, um, I never thought it was particularly dangerous. For one thing, I, I feel very fortunate that I, I never had any sense in my head, personality of uh, a fear of uh, what will people think? Mm. I just never, you know, I never had that. It's 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 kind of a odd um, gift in a way, and I feel it is a, was a gift to me, whether it was from my aunt who raised me. I don't know. It just or just I mean, maybe it's just part of my psychology that that never occurred to me. Oh oh God, if I play this you know campy part, what will people think? No, I just think I think it's going to be fabulous, and uh, and I think I'm really I have something to offer. I, a big um, thing for me in in every time I do one of these, add one of these uh, hyphenate jobs, um, <laughs> I, I I I do th have to think to myself, what have I to offer? Because the negative side of that is is hey, what do I you know you know what do I have to offer? You know, it's, yeah. what do I have to do? I have to offer, like for instance, oh, um, about eleven years ago, twelve years ago, I decided to try to do more cabaret work, and, and so I started a collaboration with my friend Tom Judson, who's a wonderful musical director, and and I really kind of uh, focused on that. And I talking about Madame Rose and Gypsy, I was Madame Rose. I I, you know, really never found adequate uh, representation for the cabaret work and mm -hmm. i just booked us in four countries and 37 cities which is pretty you know cool for an amateur but but there it was i i really did did think okay i'm not the world's greatest singer uh but i think i have something to offer mm -hmm. as a storyteller mm -hmm. i'm a very good anecdotist mm -hmm. uh so my shows really were almost half talk and half music where I would just tell stories about my from my experiences and then as a, as a singer I thought okay I'm a storyteller there as well you know if, if you're looking for big huge sustained notes don't come to my show but what I can give you I can take these songs by Sondheim or or the Bergmans or Henry Mancini uh, or the Beatles and I can turn them into little plays and, and really act them in a way that maybe some singers who do have these extraordinary voices, maybe, maybe they can't do as well. So, you know, there's, you know, I, I, this I can do, this maybe I can't do. And, and, and I thought that was a, a healthy way of looking at it. I think that's amazing. Multi-hyphenating, I think a lot of people think it's about how many different, how many different ha hands can I get <laughs> What's the, what's this what's this imagery I'm doing? How many different places can I get in at once? How many different, you know? It's not about that. It's about creating specific art that is undeniably you, and therefore, because it is undeniably you, uh, you build an organic audience. And you know, I think I say this a lot. Multi-hyphenates are primarily made up of. Uh, LGBTQIA plus people, uh, BIPOC people, women, because um, this industry has not really centered our stories until, you know, very recently, and there's still much more to go. So we had to create our own spaces to tell those stories. So, yes, yes. you know, so we have to be the ones that are like, all right, well, this, you know, this story is not happening. I'm going to write it. I'm going to tell this. I'm going to tell it. I'm going to produce it. I'm going to get it up on its feet. 
And you bring up a really interesting thing. I love agents and managers. I think they're wonderful, but I also think like there is a definite scam element to them. Um, I think having a really supportive team is really, really helpful, but there's so much in this industry that you could do on your own without the help of agents yeah. and managers, and you get to keep the 10 to 15%. Yes, and you have to also just be very clear to them what you, where you want to go. Now, I was very lucky that I had, I had a wonderful manager for mm-hmm. 30 years who died just a few years ago, and Darn. I miss him terribly, and he, uh, uh, Jeff Melnick, and, and he just adored me. Mm-hmm. and thought more of me and my abilities than I do myself. I mean, it was mm-hmm. kind of embarrassing at times, you know, that he, I mean, he, he called the Royal Shakespeare Company in London to tell them that I should play Juliet. And I, I you know, uh, later I said, so did you ever, uh, ever get an answer? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, he, um, he was just, he really, he really wanted me to be, to, uh, uh, do more uh, acting out, outside of my own work. Mm-hmm. But you know, he, he accepted the limitations that I gave him. However, when I, if I did throw out just some little bit of bait, like one time, in the, this was in the 90s, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or no, around 2000, I guess. Um, I was a big fan of the TV show Oz on HBO. And, and I just happened to be talking to Jeff on the phone and, and I wasn't serious. I just, you know, in conversations that oh, it'd be kind of cool to, to be on a gritty show like that. And as soon as we got off the phone, he called the casting director who, who thought it was an interesting idea. And then uh, next thing I knew, there was a meeting with, between me and Tom Fontana, the creator of the show. And he said, um, he said, we think it'd be really great having you on Oz and who would you like to play? And I, so, so, well, uh, and I described this character. Uh, I said, um, I said, well, first of all, I said, I'm the least street person there ever was. So maybe I could be, you know, uh, well, you know one of these characters that's deceiving, uh, deceivingly fragile, but really malevolent, like, like Gene Tierney in Leave Her to Heaven or, uh, <laughs> or Olivia de Havilland in the, the Dark Mirror. You know, I, then I, I have a feeling his frame of reference is more uh, Scorsese than <laughs> Olivia de Havilland. But anyway, they, uh, came up with the character and, and uh, for me to play, that was exactly the way I described it. And I did that for, for two seasons, but I, See, I, I didn't pursue it. It was just a, an idea, Jeff pursued it. Yeah. But, but that's how representation needs to yeah, work. Yeah. It need, they need to go, I see you, I love this. I'm gonna, right now it's become this cookie cuttery, like when uh, just sort of how much money can you make me? Yes, and, well then, yeah. I, 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 uh, yes, you you in the back. <laughs> yes, because it's terrible. I, I interrupt. I'm, I'm just off the way. The way but I'm I, I'm Jewish. Op- interrupt yeah. me all you want. The opposite experience was that I've been with. Uh, I had this great manager, thank God. But I also had was I've been with just about every famous agency. Uh, William Morris. Um, I was never. I was never with ICM, no, but William Morris, I was with the CAA, mm-hmm. all these places. And I kind of bombed out in all, with all of them for the most part because um, they had a specific, when they signed me, they had a specific view of who I was. Mm-hmm. You know, either, um, I think William Morris signed me right after Vampire Lesbians opened because they, they thought uh, that I would be very good at writing sitcoms. And that's... Uh, and so I, I played along for a while because mm. I was young and oh my gosh, you know, t- that's exciting. But it, you know, and I had a gift for for uh, pitching things, but mm-hmm. I didn't really it didn't really suit me. I didn't think my even my, my, my I, what I delivered wasn't as good as what I pitched to them. It, it just really wasn't for me. Um, and then when they realized that I really wasn't interested, interested in that anymore, they, they you know, lost their enthusiasm. And then I think um, CAA, I think they probably thought that, I, that, there was big, that there was money to be made for me as a writer of Broadway musicals. And then when they saw that I was starting to turn, turn that down, they realized that there's not much money to be made for me. And we ended that association too. So it's, yeah, I, I, I get it. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love hearing your perspective of your journey because I wish so many more it in my, and I talk about this a lot in my headshot set studio, a lot of actors that come in are like very dependent on the session for them to sort of answer all of their problem for them to all solve all of their problems in the audition room and in, um, and getting appointments, but it's so much more than that. First of all, it starts with specificity in the headshot session. What you have to get on the camera is what you want the the industry to know about you a lot. Many people think it's just a photo, but it's not because now, no. now that 7,500 people are submitting for one role at one time, you have to share a picture that's not in costume but it's not not specific. It has to be a fine line of saying, I belong in the world of which you're casting, please bring me in. It's their first visual representation they have of you. So if you have a pink bubbly background and on ringlets and stuff like that and a jewel tone dress, I don't think you're gonna get called in for Oz. You know, you have to have something that shows that you're in the world of Oz. Um, Yes, and you really have to know, again, it, it is, important to, to have a clear sense of who you are and, and wh- what you have to offer uh, again and, that, and that's that's hard and, and it takes a while to to figure that out i think some of the some of the stars who made it really early like like barbara streisand at 19 or or john travolta marmalstein they they, they they must have been remarkable young people mm-hmm. who knew what was original and unique about themselves mm-hmm. at such an early age? Because for most of us, myself included, it, it, it takes a while. You know, I didn't. I didn't know. I see. I in, in my twenties were very difficult as I struggled trying to find a place for myself. And uh, I had. I was a little bit like Fanny Bryce, so you know that ought to be me up there. You know, uh, but uh, I. It was. It was actually actually a good thing that my break came when I was at the, uh, the old age of 31, but it seemed, I felt like I, I was 60, but because uh, I, Damn. all the, you know, the humiliation and degradation that I had, had uh, uh, endured for those 10 years. But uh, I think that the first, so the first time I really was reviewed by like the New York Times was with Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. And, and, and when they got me, I was kind of a, a somewhat finished performer. And I think if I'd had that break when I was 24, mm. I wasn't, wasn't as good. I, I learned so much over those 10 years. I think though, you know, what separates you and sort of ties in this conversation is that you always, you always did what you knew to be true. And a lot of people in this industry now run away from that. They try to be someone or something else because the paths have been carved out and it's very easily to stay on a path that is already carved out. It's familiar. Someone else did it, which means I can do it. I'm not going to take as much risk. I can... Uh, it's been done and people know that to be safe. So I'm going to be doing it. But the, the thing, the reason why we have people, we have people that we love and they become stars or at least successful working artists is because the thing that makes them different is because they are committing to themselves and their perspective. And sometimes, you know, it's, you say, um, you're like, I wish I had found myself, you know, or I wish I discovered what that was, but you did. It was your writing, you were writing, you said three act plays when you were 11 years old. It's like- yeah, but it takes a while to, it took me a while to, oh, just 
develop and experiment. Yeah. What I ended up doing was quite different from where I started out. But right. Um, but yeah, just I, you know, I just kept, I, but I felt during those ten years, uh, I was just de determined. Uh, I thought, okay, I'm just going to uh, uh, keep going, no matter what. And if I and I thought, I really I had insane belief in myself. It, it never never wavered. But I thought that if I keep at this, mm -hmm. that it, letting anything interfere, and if I um, and if I keep learning, if I keep growing and getting better, it's it's got to work out. That, that that was the thing. But I but I I wasn't complacent and thinking, oh, you know, aren't I just so great right now? I think I I was always aware that I, I can get better. I, I need to and and people help different directors that I would bring in to to help me. All all taught taught me something, and I uh, benefited from from their critiques and um, ideas that's what that's what makes it art though is because you know you 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 knew what made you uniquely you and but then you went how do i how do i cultivate it how do i grow it no. how do i make it more me i no. want everyone listening to this i want everyone that comes into my headshot session to at least start thinking in that way i don't think that i don't think many people know that they are allowed to think that way that they are allowed to be like what do I like? Who am I? What do I know to be true? I think right. you have to at least start thinking that way. And, and you, you at least thought about that, um, you know, at a, at an, and same with me. And, you know, I, I have a question. I, there's a, um, an article that just came out um, and I'm pulling it up. There's an article that just came out in the Times, I think yesterday, and which would be, um, Nope. This, yeah, August 3rd. So two days ago. And it was, it's called shutting the door on the hard knock life. And it's a really interesting read because it talks about like the actors putting boundaries on themselves in the industry, but it's also written from the perspective of like Broadway being very corporate and not being an art. And, you know, we could talk about Broadway being corporate, you know, the whole day, but it sort of ends in this in this very strange way that like is like um, another source of unease is that those of us, I include myself, who grew up in the harsh, sometimes inhumane ways of thinking about the theater, may have developed a kind of Stockholm syndrome about the harshness. We are blasé or even sentimental. When a chorus line Salento, Wayne Salento, sang with the rest of the ensemble, "What I did for love," we understood the response to be everything anything the gift was ours to borrow now i'm pretty sure that's not the right answer hmm. I, I, you, you got me on that one kid and it's <laughs> but but that's the but i think it ties into what we were just talking about because what i do is art and i i have boundaries on myself but it is a process and it is hard and it is difficult. And I, you know, we cry and we laugh and we, we, we sweat over what is the right yeah. choice. Yes. And, and, and there are different periods of your life where you just gain different insights and it, and it just, and it keeps going too. You know, I'm, I'm in, you know, the, I don't know, final stretch or something. I don't know at the, my age, but but I, I went through a period uh, when I was uh, around sixty, and um, where I, I just started questioning uh, every all of my uh, abilities and and everything I had done, and I and I really went through about two years of of. Um, Kind of, I, I don't know if I want to say the word depression because that, that's different. Just, I, I was in a bad mood <laughs> for, for about two years. I, I, I had a, a play called The Tribute Artist that I, oh, I think I had unrealistic expectations. And I've, I've found in life, in, in, in my career, whenever there's been a project that really so much emotion was 
was uh, invested in that usually ends up being a big flop. And, and, and that one was a terrible disappointment. And that um, suddenly made me question everything. And I, I, I just uh, went through all my old work, everything I'd written, and I thought, oh, this, this is a piece of shit. And oh, they, they, they like that one? Oh, God, you know, oh, you know, oh, that, no wonder they hated this one. That's terrible. You know, it was just an awful period. You know, and I spent oh, just so much time ruminating over over my past failures, and, and where where does it get you ultimately? But fi finally, it just I, I you know I'd like to say that you know in the movie version of my life, suddenly this thing happened, and, oh, and I woke up out of it, and you know, and you know, uh, but and and there were certain things that people said to me that oh, that's got some truth to it. I can take that. You know, that feels good. You know, and, and different experiences I had maybe did make me think, oh, you know, maybe I did have something to offer. Maybe I, I did achieve something to someone. Um, so, but, but I think generally you just kind of get tired of being unhappy and just get on with the next, the next thing. But, but it just, um, I guess the point of bringing that up is that it's never completely happy ever after that you figured it out and it's go, go, go. You just, if in an artistic, creative life, it's, you know, it's, it gets painful at times. It's, it, there's great, great joy when it, you know, when you get that rave review and it's read out loud. And, and uh, although it's funny, I, I, I'm a little weird. I think maybe it was the way I was raised by my aunt that um, I'm really quite envious of people who can experience just great full-bodied, elation and 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 joy uh and, and i i can't really do that I'm, I'm not a sour pickle i mean i get i get it but but i i think maybe the way i was raised by my aunt i don't know to weigh and evaluate everything that the, when i've had this incredible experience of having an opening night of a new play and the times review is read and everybody's cheering and screaming and it's like the, you know the titanic was raised with the crew still alive uh which is a movie, movie raise the titanic but with me i you know everybody's screaming but i'm i'm sitting there but i'm but thinking like hmm so what does this really mean is it, does this review is it is it going to really help the box office and oh boy if this is a hit then uh i've got to really have the stamina to do this eight shows a week and step it up and i i'm weighing all these things whereas i i kind of wish i was just one of those people just like, ah! I don't I, I don't think we're both of you both of us I don't think we're designed that way we always we, I think me with me I could celebrate for a second I could literally be like wow great win and then I go what's next or what is it was really what does it really mean what does it yeah. really mean what's the yeah. existential why yeah. am I doing yeah. but uh you know we have to wrap up and Charles Bush this was an incredible conversation and I want to give space to oh. uh you're showing uh you're showing up on the 54 below stage on September 6th at 7 p.m. in Charles Kirsch's backstage babble live what why mm -hmm. tell us about it what are we what are we going to expect well charles kirsch is a remarkable young man i've i've known him since he was 11 years old and he's he's now at the you know old age of i think 15 <laughs> maximum but he's just a remarkable young man and um and he's changed so physically it, it like within one year he was this little boy and, and suddenly he's the six six foot two guy um wow. but he is at the age of 11 he already was one of those prodigies that knew everything about every about broadway history and particularly musicals and he started a, a podcast uh backstage babble where he just began interviewing basically everybody who's contributed to the Broadway stage of the past uh, uh, 60 years. And, and it, was, it was very funny though, when you would hear this little, little piping voice, you know, interviewing Cheetah Rivera. Uh, and and I, I forget, I, I met him in a very sweet, sweet way actually. Uh, uh, I had, how do I tell it re really briefly and concisely? Um, oh, I participated in a, a, a concert 
performance of Peter Pan, where I was just the, nar the narrator and all these different Broadway people sang, each one did like a different number as Captain Hook or, or Peter Pan with a full orchestra. But they, particularly the girls playing Peter Pan, none of them wanted to do the dialogue. They said, I'll learn the song, but I'm not doing, I'm not doing the scenes. And I, all my life, I wanted to play Peter Pan. And so I said, I'll, I'll do the scene. I'll, I'll see the, I'll, I'll do the, I'll be the narrator and I'll, I'll say the dialogue. Yeah, so I did. Anyway, it was one of the, and I got so into it when I had the big moment where, you know, clap, if, you know, Tinkerbell's dying, clap your hands, please. You know, I was with the tears. I, I totally threw myself into it. There was no, no irony at all. Anyway, uh, about a year later, uh, I was at, a, at an event and um, this little boy comes up to me and, <laughs> and says, I just want you to know that you're my favorite Peter Pan. What? What did you say? <laughs> and so I'm just hooked on this kid that he appreciated my Peter Pan. And, and, and then he started this um, uh, podcast and it's really taken off and, and everybody in the theaters talks, wants to do it. But, but you forget how old he is. Wow. So when he was talking to me, when we, we did like a two-parter and oh, I was talking about this play, The Tribute Artist, and that it was very much about homosexual panic. I can't believe I'm saying this to a 13-year-old kid, but he's just, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and now he's doing, but now he's, you know, he's a six foot two guy and he, with a deep voice, he's um, emceeing or, and curating this evening at uh, 54 Below, which is, you know, that's one of the great cabaret rooms in New York. Love and, 54 Below. And he's got, and it's kind of like the live version of his podcast. And he's got all these fantastic Broadway musical veterans uh, up there doing songs from their shows and telling stories. Now, I said to him, when he asked me, I said, well, you know, I don't know if you really want me because uh, I've never been to Broadway musical. I've seen a lot, but I haven't been in one. But, he, you know, I'm kind of his, one of his mentors. So he, he wanted me to be a part of it. So I'm going to sing and tell a story of, you know, that, but not a show I've been in. So what are you going to sing? Well, uh, well. In, in my cabaret act, I have actually sung in Buddy's Eyes from Follies. Hey, the first time I was in LA and we went to, and somebody took me to um, what the remains of, um, of MGM and I saw mm. the Thalbert building, I, I started to swoon. I, I almost passed out. It's, but that's, that's, it's, it's an energy. It's a, it's a, it's a life gone by. It's, um, I mean, it's, yeah, I get it. I mean, even I have this shirt that I got that um, says, what does it say on it? It says the, it's, you know, those black shirts with the white lettering that has the lists on, on, I have one that says Morosco and uh, Morosco gaiety um okay uh rocks uh, bijou you know the five theaters of the 1982 theater massacre right, right and i am so sad that i'll never be able to experience those theaters and what happened in those theaters but i love that shirt because it has that yeah, emotional yeah. weight of those five you know incredible theaters that we lost but that's something that i relate with to you of like seeing something that just has such meaning and such power. Oh and, my God, um, can, you imagine, can you imagine what I felt when the first time when I walked into the Barrymore Theater when we were doing The Allergist Wife and, 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 and knowing that Streetcar played on that stage and, <sighs> and the Productive Raised in the Sun and uh, the Lunts, I think were in, um, you know, Design for Living. I mean, it just, oh, you can't believe that, that they were, it was right there on that stage, right in front of me, all these people. Where can we find you on social media? Uh, well, I, you know, I have a face, oh yeah, I have, I have a, a Facebook um, fan page, I guess you call okay. it, uh, uh, under my name. And um, I, I don't do much on, on uh, Instagram, but I do a lot on Facebook and, uh, and I have a wonderful um, uh, website, charlesbush.com. Charles, you were amazing. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we had this time together. This was fun. And 
Yeah, and you're the absolute best. Thank you so much for being on Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm so excited to see you on the 54 Below stage at sep- on September 6th at 7 p.m. Uh, you're going to be on stage with a lot of incredible people, Brenda Braxton, um, uh, Brad Oscar, Leroy Reams, Beth Fowler, Christine Petty, who I'm doing coffee with at 2 p.m. And, wow. uh, <laughs> right now. And... Um, and I can't wait to see you there. And I hope everyone listening goes to see uh, Backstage Babble on September 6th at Four Below at 7 p.m. Charles Bush, you're amazing. Thank you for being here. Okay. See you soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.